Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And surprise, it's us that's back with the midweek show this week. Unfortunately, work commitments meant Joe and the gang couldn't get things done this week, so we thought we would jump on to pick over the bones of the Whitecaps lost to Minnesota. Look ahead to the game coming up on Sunday with Sport in Kansas City and we're going to talk Whitecaps and MLS salaries because today was that exciting day. It was MLS salary release day. That will come up in part three. We're going to kick off this part though with a look back at Wednesday night's game in Minnesota. The run had to come to an end at some point. They, they, they did well. I mean, they managed to go one game unbeaten, but came crashing back down to earth. 1-0 loss to Minnesota United. It was a a tough one. We'll start by getting your overall thoughts on the game. For me, I think it was a a pretty good performance all round. They were punished for their inability to take their chances and to score a goal from open play. They tired a little bit, I feel, in the second half. They let Minnesota get into it. Minnesota didn't really have much of a sniff, but they, they took their opportunity when they got it. They comfortably saw out the game. But but I came away from this one, Steve, thinking, disappointed, should have been three points, never mind just one point, and this was a game for the taking. Yeah, the number of chances that were missed, especially luckily, right off the bat in the first five minutes, uh, that miss by Dahomey uh, right inside the box, that was huge there. Um, there he missed actually uh, quite a few. Um, Ranko with a miss in the second half. Jake, uh, obviously, a miss in the second half. Um, there, there were a lot of missed chances. Just one, especially early. One of those goals, I think we discussed that uh, uh, when we did the MLS recap on, on Sunday or the weekend show. Uh, we discussed that if the oh, white caps are able to get on them early and score a goal or something like that, that would totally deflate them. I don't know if they would have been able to come back from that. Yeah. I mean, how did you come away from that one feeling, Zach? Uh, well, like, like the usual uh, um, preview, uh, re- reflection and preview show, guys. Uh, my uh, ability to watch this live was prohibited by work. Uh, so I uh, watched uh, parts of it later. 
Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you guys. Like, uh, the one thing you can't fault the Whitecaps for in this game is creating some really good chances. Uh, and so I think the coaching staff and and maybe less so the players will feel good about that. But the fact that they didn't score and that it's now what five games or whatever of not being able to score from the run of play. Yep. That, that like it's a becomes a, a monkey on the back that maybe gets heavier and heavier the longer time goes on. But well, again, that, that's just it. The longer it does go on, it start. That's the talking point. That's the narrative that everyone's going to bring up to them. Yeah, and we know like the Whitecaps in general don't like any kind of negative narrative, so they're going to do everything they can to shy away from that. But it is going to follow them until until they break that. But again, I, I think there there's a few negatives to take away from the game, but there are some encouraging signs as well. Yeah, I, I think for a game that they've lost, there's certainly a lot of positives to, to come away from it. We'll hear a little bit from MDS later. I mean, he said he felt this was the most complete game that the Whitecaps have played all season, and you, you can't really disagree with that. He said it's hard to be sitting there talking about positives but being on the end of a 1-0 defeat. So, I mean, it's good that they're feeling like that and it's good that they they generated all these chances. We'll get into the the meat, the bones of the game in a sec. I want to talk about the lineup to start with because it led to a lot of chatter before the game and it led to a lot of chatter after the game because MDS made just one change for this one. Bruno Gaspar comes in for Jake Norwinski. I was happy with a single change because I liked the lineup that was out there with who was most likely to come in. You look at the bench, I think, yeah, they lost, but performance-wise, I feel shows that that was the right lineup. Yeah, I, I feel that. I mean, I personally would have liked to have seen one or two more, but uh, you know, I saw you tweeting about this, Michael, and yeah, I don't, I don't disagree that it was... Uh, if you're going to make some changes, probably the next game was... You know, as you looked at them, was probably a better one to to make more changes for, which we'll see if that happens or not. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, again, I don't like from the parts I saw that they did not look like they suffered from fatigue. They did not totally look like they suffered from you know the uh, the new setup uh, that they have in terms of you know going you know traveling and stuff. Yeah, because it's a tiring schedule. I mean, they're leaving at eight thirty. Well, they're waking up and having breakfast at eight thirty in the morning and then they're getting home at 1.50 the next morning. It's it's ridiculous. I know it's there. It's the same for all teams. They, I don't know why they don't just let teams have an overnight stay, but it, it's all, it's league mandated on distance and kickoff times. If they can get in and out the same day, that's what the league's wanting. But it's not ideal. But they, Mark said afterwards, they didn't feel tired after the three-hour flight. They had a bit of spring in their step when they were warming up. So... I, they I definitely think, weren't. They definitely weren't flat in there. No, first time. I yes. mean, they, they, I mean, that's the thing. I've I criticised them. I asked Mark and the players about it after the last game about why are you always starting flat in the first half. Can't knock them for that because they came out knowing that they wanted to get that early goal. That that was one of the the, the key things for it. What about you, Steve? What did you think of the lineup? Were you happy with the, just the one change? Um. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and and after the the in the post game, which obviously we'll hear in a second, uh, MDS does make a point that he's they see them in training every day, and they can see if they're you know they're they're able to handle it. Obviously, uh, we would like to. We're thinking that maybe it's too much for them to play in that many games in a row, 
especially at the beginning of the season because you're not uh, you might not be like in full fitness you're still working on it but maybe they realize that they are and so maybe and, and it was it did show a little bit of the cramping i don't know if that has to do with how many games they played in a week or the mm-hmm. travel or whatever but there definitely was cramping at the end of the game for some of the players i mean my big issue was more around team management game management substitutions but we'll come to that l- later on I'll talk a little bit more about rotational side of things when we're looking ahead to the, the the Kansas City game as well. But one thing I will say is Mark DeSantis, and he, he told me that when we had a chat a while back now, he likes a settled lineup. That's what he did with San Francisco Deltas. And I know it's a different level because I was going back and forth a little bit with Ryan Burns about this. And Ryan made some good points. It's a different level. You've got a squad. Why don't you use it? We'll cover some of those things later on. But he does like a settled lineup. And I did feel that this wasn't a game to make too many changes, especially defensively. So you made that one change. And maybe I would have, if I was going to make another change, I would maybe have brought someone in for, for Bikel. But Bikel ended up having a, a, a good game. As I said, I thought this was the more winnable of the two games. Stuart Kerr, the current Minnesota United goalkeeper coach, former Whitecaps goalkeeping coach, was on Twitter trolling me a little bit after the game just to point out that maybe it wasn't the easiest of the two games because they came away with the win, so fair play. His goalkeeping change did well. We talked about that in the build-up to this, Steve, when we did the recap on, on Sunday. I thought Dane Sinclair would get dropped by Minnesota. And he did. He did, and like Adrian Heath talked afterwards, that the reason being, sometimes you just need a different voice back there. Yeah. And he said, not a knock on Dane, but bringing in that experienced guy, bringing in that different voice, just adds a different dynamic. So it kind of worked. But well, I think, I feel like, I, I don't feel like Tyler, and I maybe he, the, the, the organization definitely wasn't there because I didn't notice any improved organization in, in what there was because they definitely not had their the, chances. the opening spell yeah and then on top of that um i don't feel like he made any spectacular saves i thought he like was in the right position but there mm. wasn't anything that where his goalkeeping uh, made a difference Let, let's delve into how the game started then so i mean the white cats were on the front foot Minnesota, I thought, looked terrible in that opening half hour. They were all over the place. You talked about their lack of organisation, Steve. I mean, it was very, very evident. You had Dahomey had that great chance five minutes in that we touched on. Fired over after some good work from Caicedo. Cava had two headers in the space of a minute. One went wide. One was saved by, by Miller. At that point, I thought, oh... I'm feeling pretty comfortable about this. There was a few other half chances for the Whitecaps. Minnesota looked all over the place. Then the Whitecaps just let them get into it, get into the game in the last 10 minutes of that first half. But Cava, the one that went wide, you kind of want him to hit the target with that. The one that he did get on target. I mean, it it was a good header, but you want to try and direct it anywhere else than, than where he did. Do you feel he should have done better with that? Do you feel Dahomey should have done better with the, the chance that he had? Because that was a bit of a sitter. You want to get that on target. Yeah, I felt, I felt like um, both of them will feel they, they could have done better. I think Dahomey is in good attacking form, uh, not just because of his goals, but just his play in general. And uh, yeah, he, I think I think he'll have a bit of a sleepless night, or he had a bit of a sleepless night last night, thinking about how he, how he 
could have uh, changed the course of the game so early on. Uh, Kava, yeah, I think he'll wish he directed the first header better, and the second header, I think he wish was not just directionally better, but even you know more powerful as well. The first one, the power was good, but the direction was yeah. just cut off. He he won them both well, so I mean that that's yeah. also a promising side as well. All three, all three really encouraging plays. But Minnesota, we seem to let them back into it, Steve. Like Reynoso had a, a couple of efforts. They finished the half with a spring in their step. And then they started the second half continuing with that. And I, th- I think that that was one of the big, big game-changing moments. Obviously, the winning goal was. But to let them get back into it and get that bit of confidence, that early goal, if we had popped that away, this was a team mentally, I think, would have crumbled. And Adrian Heath kind of touched on that after the game, that they, they were fighting for everything. And it wasn't pretty at times and they didn't do everything right but they, they came away with a win. So for them, it's great. It kickstarts their season, but it could have been all so different if one of those chances had just been popped away. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I totally agree with the, the you know, a slight uh, deviation from the shot or whatever, that goal goes in any point before um, they, they get their goal. Um, and I think it's a totally different game. Um, I think they would have hung their heads, uh, like I said earlier. Um, and it's 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 they're right now they were a fragile team, and 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 I they, I think they still are. I think they're uh, while they're happy that they got the win. I think they feel very lucky that w- the Whitecaps didn't score a goal. I think that's just going to be the um, the missed chances is the biggest story of this game. And I think we just we're just going to keep talking about that every over again. Yeah. But then half time, there was a change made. It was forced onto the white caps. Andy Rose was pulled off at half time. Subsequently, has a groin strain. I don't know if the two are connected. Probably are. But now, folk have wanted Derek Cornelius to start instead of Andy Rose. And Cornelius, he, he put up some good numbers in, in that second half. He had one tackle, two interceptions, a blocked shot, a shot of his own, seven clearances. So, I mean, good numbers in 45 minutes. He got a good rating, 6.7 on who scored. So, I mean, they were good numbers on paper. But I I was surprised when I read that. That, that was Alex from Between the Sticks that put that together and tweeted that out. I, the eye test for me was that as soon as Rose went off, we were not as solid defensively. Now, it might be that Minnesota turned that up a little bit, Zach, but it, it felt that they were worse with Cornelius back there. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, I, the game was different in the second half, and some of Minnesota's changes obviously impacted that. We can talk about that in a moment, but yeah, I don't think uh, some of those positive numbers from DC are really in line with some of the eye test of it. As I was, uh, you know, I didn't watch the game live, but I saw some comments and stuff. And one of the comments I saw before I saw anything, even before I knew the score or whatever, was was a question over his marking in the game. And as I was going through the game, I was like, yeah, the the biggest chances for Minnesota in that half, including the goal, on all of them, he looks a little bit out of place for who he's supposed to be marking. And in particularly, the space he was allowing between himself and and the players he was supposed to be covering. What about yourself, Steve? There was some communication issues, I feel, a little bit as well, which is understandable when you've not been playing with the guys. Yeah, there were moments that uh, were uh, obviously clear that, you know, 
while they played together last year quite a bit, um, I guess you have to get on the same page in the, at the start of the year. And and the lack of playing time, obviously, Cornelius coming from the, uh, you know, from in the Canadian national team and everything played a factor. He didn't even have very much training. So, um, and then you also got a full, a brand new fullback on the right side. You got uh, a left uh, left side who you probably didn't play with that much. And then you got um, central midfielder in front of you, one of them that you didn't play at all with. Um, so yeah, it, it probably did play a big factor in in the communication. Well, maybe we may as well just talk about about the goal then, Zach, as well, and touch on something else as well. So like, Minnesota had brought on Ramona Beer, and that was like one of the big changes. Sixty fifth minute, he came on. Seven minutes later, he heads home the the only goal of the game. But he was unchallenged. He rose between two white cap guys. I don't know where it broke down. There's a lot of fault to go around. It was poor defending, poor communication, poor positioning. I don't know where you start with it. Yeah, it just looked like the the marking was I think uh, on there's there I think there's three specific chances for that I was looking at uh for for Minnesota in that second half, including the goal, where the spacing on the marking was just really off, particular from from Derek, which again, yeah, might be down to communication or 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 his rustiness, which I mean I I have to hold up my hand and say that Andy Rose has really done, done, done. Like this points to Andy, the, the what Andy Rose has contributed. I know we're going to talk about salaries later and stuff, but it, it shows what uh, what a significant role. And as much as I would m- way rather see Derek Cornelius playing with Ranko uh, at, at this time, uh, I don't think. I mean, it's going to be hard for Mark to to not use Andy Rose if he's fit. Yeah, that that's the big if because I guess we'll find out after this comes out if how bad this groin strain is. But I mean, Steve, that that's the thing. Like Andy Rose, folk are like he's not a centre back. He shouldn't be the starting centre back. And then you see it different when he's not there. Apart from the experience that he brings to help talk Ranko through stuff, it's the organisational skills that he has. And he's made, he's made mistakes as well. Like, let's not, yeah, let's not no, say that's, he's been that's playing what, great, but that's what that's that's what I was gonna say. Like, yeah, uh, the organizational skills are good, but um, the I don't want to say athletic ability, but the uh, Cornelius is way more athletic as center yes, back. That's the and thing. he provides. Uh, like, if I'm not mistaken, he's the one when Cavallini got sent in almost all alone. That was a pass from Cornelius. Uh, from the uh, from the back line, if I'm not mistaken, I, I could be wrong might. on that. No, I think you yeah. might be right. Yeah, so that kind of that kind of that's the kind of center back play that MDS wants. Somebody that can handle the ball, somebody could, who could uh, distribute the ball um, from the back line, and and that was a perfect pass. So I understand that you want uh, and and this could all be like just one simple mistake by Cornelius that he got caught with cement feet because he hadn't been playing that much, and once yeah. he gets into the games more. That that gets corrected because I don't see that normally from Cornelius. That's the one thing you don't see him like on the deck when the ball's in the air. Well, he he was good when he was away with Canada with the, the under twenty threes. So I mean, he put in a good show in there. And like, I, I'm not wanting this to come across that we're totally slating Cornelius because it's hard to be thrown in at half time. It's hard that, to be it, thrown into a game that you've not had like time with with these players. It's, it's if, this if, vicious if, circle. Or yeah, you need if, to play to get comfortable, but sometimes you just get thrown in. And if I'm not mistaken, isn't the um, uh, the position of centre-back almost one of the 
worst positions you actually want to sub in for because of the because of the you know the communication that yeah. people have with each other. You could yeah, people it's sub a in, crucial position. You people sub in fullbacks, central midfielders, strikers, wingers all they want, but the center back pair when you have a one starting from the beginning, that's a rare position where you want to make a substitution in. Well, it's you always talk about the centre backs marshalling the defence. A lot of teams, their captain is is a centre back for that very reason. But I mean, the, the Whitecaps, they had chances before the goal. They had chances after the goal. Dahomey had a chance. Ranko headed wide, as we talked about. Jake, wild shot that that flew wide. Did they have that many chances after, like after the goal? I felt not like not a lot after significant one. Yeah. Cava's chance, I can't remember now, was that before the goal or after the goal? I didn't write that one down. I think before, but I could be wrong. But that, that was one where he, I think it was, that was one where he looked tired. He looked like his legs had gone. But he got pulled back a little bit too. On yeah, the play. He, he did. I mean, they closed, they closed him down. Well, they did well defensively. And there was a little tug that you could maybe have looked at. But, but yeah, after the goal, Zach, Minnesota, they felt comfortable. And it didn't feel, it, it didn't feel that we were out of it. I didn't feel confident we were going to win it, but there was this nagging thing that I think we could maybe still sneak a goal here. But on the whole, Minnesota kind of comfortably saw out the game. Yeah, I, I think so. And that that chance was from Jake was really really poor. Yeah, like it showed, like this was the when the one thing from this game is yeah the one change of the starting lineup. And I don't think anyone would can now say can say that Gaspar shouldn't be starting every game. That, that's possible. I mean, yeah. I, did he? Did he? Was this a knock? Did he? Is he okay? It's just cramping. Yeah, he. It, it, I don't think it's a bad injury, but it, I guess it's something to keep an eye on, especially when you go into what's going to be a, a, a hot Kansas City. I would imagine on on Sunday morning, which will be like yeah. early afternoon there. The thing is with Gashfer, um, I feel like if he was in that position where Jake was, that would have been a finished shot. Like I, I have, he has the you know the the ability to do that to take that shot because the when he was running around in the in that first half of those opening minutes, he looked like it was a totally mm. different thing. And you can imagine like if Ali Adnan was playing on the left side and Bruno Gashfer is playing on the right side, that's a deadly fullback tandem that would like scare the heck out of the opposition. Yeah. I, I know Gaspar's one shot on goal was not super strong, but just the, how he got in the position yeah. to get that was really, really encouraging. And Jordan Harvey-esque. I, mean, I think if you ask MDS privately, he'd be like, oh, I really wish Gaspar had been in that spot yeah. at the end of the game with, with the goal facing him the way it was. Well, that, that's our thoughts on the game. Let's hear a little bit of audio now from after the match from both head coaches. First of all, we'll just hear a little bit from Minnesota United's Adrian Heath. Then we'll hear from Mark DeSantis. Well, huge relief for everybody concerned. More importantly, the players. You know, when, when I look at the season, you know, as, as I think I said after the game that I, I've had days where I've scratched my head because we haven't played at times to be 0-4. But that's where we were, and I'm, you know, I'm, I know where we pressure starts to build on players, on the coaches, on the manager, on the, even the supporters. They feel that, you know, you could see, feel the relief for the supporters at the end. So I'm pleased for all of them. Um, but I did say to the guys after I thought we did all the ugly things that nobody ever sees, 
better than we've done at any stage. Clear the lines, put a foot through it, and then we'll debate whether it was a good decision or not after. Um, we haven't beat ourselves, and a couple of occasions, you know, Ty's come up with a couple of good saves, which we expected. Adrian, what were you hoping to get from the goalkeeper change, and what did you end up getting? Well, sometimes it's not about form. It's about doing something different that has a different response from the people in front of you. And obviously the change of voice sometimes helps and maybe refocuses the guys in front of you. You know, I said to you the other day that, you know, I think he's, I think he's played 20 games or 21, did somebody say, consecutively, Dane. And maybe two or three of the goals could be his, but that's the same with all goalkeepers. So, you know, I don't want to say that that was the big catalyst of all the change. But Tyler's done really well. He's come back from his injuries really well. You know, that's a testimony to the work that he did, his rehab after, you know, which was a major operation. We deserved more from this game. But again, what I told the guys, if in moments that you lose games, lose like this, lose where you, you fought, lose where you created, lose where, where you tried everything. And um, that's what we did tonight. And like you said, you guys created uh, quite a few offensive chances, big chances. Uh, it also seemed like they had uh, responded to some of those things that you pointed out before about, you know, putting in crosses earlier, turning things around in transition. Um, mm -hmm. how, how do you feel about uh, the way you guys no, played? I feel uh, it's, it sucks for me, uh, JJ, to speak about so many positive things uh, in a 1-0 loss. But... I told the guys they have to have their head up because there was so many good things. Uh, you know, there was a lot of positive things. Uh, we played a good away game. It was good for the fans. Uh, it was, uh, like you said, the two teams that wanted to win. Um, I thought it could have been a game with uh, more goals, you know, um, because there was chances created. But again, look, we it's those nice nights where the the those chances don't go in. If When I'm going to look at them, I, I know of some that are now getting into my head that I don't know how we didn't score. So it's like that. There's nights like that. Since the first game of the season, haven't made many changes. Obviously hard to, to move a winning lineup, but with the travel, some of the injuries starting to pile up, do you worry some of your guys are going to burn out? And are you considering making changes for the, the Kansas game as a result of that? No, burnout, they don't. Because uh, I know... People from the outside, they want to see more players. It's fun to see new players. But we're with them every day. And they felt extremely well to play this game. We came out of a flight of almost three hours. A couple of hours later, she came straight to the to the, the stadium. And we were fresh. We were running. We were creating. Uh, it burns out if the lineup, there's never rotation. And we're in the 20th game. But these guys were four months waiting to play, and now we play five league games. It's the first time we play a midweek game. Um, we never lost this game because of a physical aspect. Uh, now for sure that we need to evaluate things very well um, coming up this game on Sunday, that's for sure. So both the gaffers there giving their thoughts on Minnesota's 1-0 win over Vancouver on Wednesday night. 
It was, it was a loss that dropped Vancouver to fifth in the West. Minnesota is still bottom on, on goal difference, but it'll be a, a big confidence booster for them going forward. They really, really needed to, to, to get this one because the pressure that would have been on them from five straight defeats would have been massive. MDS said after the game, I told the guys in the field, if the Whitecaps are going to lose games, lose like this. Lose where you've created, where you've fought, where you've been exciting to watch. Fair. I'd rather, though, that they win and play horrible, but that's just me. But, yeah, if you are going to lose a game, at least come away with it feeling positive about the performance. And I think on the whole, I think most folk have. But that there are some things to, to, to dig into, and one of them is the substitutions. I, I kind of feel it was the subs in part that kind of sunk the Whitecaps a little bit and kind of killed the momentum and changed the game, obviously along with their inability to, to score from open play. So Abia came on in the 65th minute, changed the game. One thing we should say about his goal as well, when he scored, he lifted his top up to reveal a T-shirt which was off his brother, who had taken his own life last year for depression. And he got booked for it, and the referee was being criticised, etc, etc. Now, afterwards, apparently you could see the referee saying he didn't know, because they were having a discussion. But I, I know it's harsh, but if the rule is that you lift your t-shirt off, if the referee's not been told beforehand what it is, you're going to brandish the yellow card. Yeah, um, well, that's the thing. It doesn't matter. Even if the referee knows what it is, he's still supposed to book him. So yeah. it's more an issue with the the, the rule, right? And yeah. We, we've talked in the past how the rule is based on... It's finances. stupid. It, yeah. It's a finest thing. FIFA uh, doesn't want, particularly at their tournaments, and UEFA and the big, the big confederations don't want at their tournaments to be hijacked by players pulling stunts for companies who are sponsoring them individually. In that yeah, it's of, like, oh, look, Snickers or whatever. Exactly. So it takes away, or like Zlatan... Zlatan's with his Galaxy 10 launch or, you know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> Ali Adnan with his Galaxy phone, he takes it yeah. out of his sock. Exactly. So they don't they don't want that. But it does take away from people expressing themselves about who they are or what's yeah. going on in life. And Because when you, when you hear what was behind it, it's like it's yeah. heartbreaking. And it's like, I, I was like, oh, I, I'm nice that you got that goal and could honour honor his brother in that way. Totally. Yeah. But... Going back to the, the Whitecaps subs, whilst I commend MDS for that starting 11, I, I think it was right to do that. You had to you had to get fresh legs on, especially when Minnesota took the lead. Now, Cava looked tired from that run and goal, but just in general, he looked a little bit tired. Dahomey and Caicedo had run themselves into the ground. Now, you don't bring Ryan Raposo on until the 86th minute. What's he really going to do four minutes in stoppage time looking at the bench bringing maybe somebody like Baldy on just to kind of freshen it up maybe bringing on Habibula even late just to see if he can add a spark because like someone like Habibula he's not really been scouted yet by the rest of the guys in MLS so he's got that bit of a surprise aspect to him and I'm not one of these people that think oh just play the the young guys and, and give them a shot just because they, they need to get competitive minutes under their belt. Because I think that's a ridiculous argument. You want to put the right guys in the right situation. Because everyone's going on about, oh, Theo Bear should be getting time, etc., etc. MDS has made it very clear 
why he's not getting time. But aside from that, look at how he played when he was away with Canada. It was not great performances. I genuinely do not understand why people think all of a sudden throwing Theo Bayer into an MLS match, you're going to bring out a game winner out of him. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you in, in essence, Michael, but why then? Why why then is he your striking substitute? I mean, like I understand based on what MDS has said before. Obviously, it's because he's earned that in training. But like this was like we talked about before. I thought this was a game for Tossing Ricketts to get some time. Yeah. And when you need a goal, who like who better? Now I'm not going to argue with MDS over training because I'm not there. I'm not watching. I'm not talking to people who are there. But if you're going to include Theo Barrett in the 18 and you need a goal, surely you can find a spot for him on the on the field, right? Like, well, if, if you haven't made all your subs and you're chasing a goal, it, it maybe is worth throwing him on. If you're bringing Raposo on, you may as well throw him on at the, at the same time because by that point, it's like, who knows what, what can happen? And what was obviously there wasn't working at that point, so you had to change it. But I, I think this is one thing that lets MDS down a lot is his substitutions. I get wanting to have the settled starting lineup, and I like that. But you have to to be prepared to mix it up earlier and get the guys on the pitch earlier, especially when these guys have just played a few days beforehand and there's another game coming up at the weekend. Because by running these guys into the ground now for the full 90, that's surely, I mean, we'll come to this in the next part, but that's surely then going to dictate what Sunday's game now looks like, which is a game that they kind of want to try and get something from because they didn't get something from this, which I don't know that they will. But we'll, we'll come to that. A couple of the other things just to look at from this game. Gaspar Nerwinski. So you touched on that, Zach, just be, before we heard from the audio there. Now, here's some sh- some stats. about. I was going to say stats because I'm saying Gaspar. Here's some stats. Gaspar allowed the Whitecaps to uh, have a more balanced attack. A lot of it's been going up the left, and it was the same last season with Ali, and they like to do that. But with Gaspar in there and being a more attacking right-back than Jake, it was 39% of the attacks went up the right, 40% up the the left, and 21% through the middle. So that's balanced, as opposed to teams going, oh, everything's going to come up the left. I I like that. And as you said, I, I think, apart from the odd game where you maybe want to rotation, freshen things up a little bit. Bruno Gaspar is your right back going forward when he's healthy. Yeah, un- unquestionably. Like, if he doesn't play 75% or more of the games, then something, either he's injured or something else has gone wrong. I mean, Steve, were you impressed by what you've seen? Small sample size, obviously, so far. But he seems to he seems to be doing what it says in the tin. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that in in that little bit we've seen, you can tell that um, he's got a little bit more quality than Jake. Um, obviously, he's played at a higher level. And so I think that kind of screams through. And I think that's what the Whitecaps are needing right now at this point. His fellow Portuguese speaker, Caio Alejandre, he had another good game as well. One thing I'm worried about, though, for both of them is they've been picking up a few bookings here and there between them. Both got booked in that game against Minnesota. I like players that play aggressively and stuff, but I was a little bit worried when Gaspar picked up such an early booking. I was like, hmm, 
just in this league and if you're then getting attacked it's it's a tricky one so that might be something that they have to watch but Kyle continues to impress I think he breaks lines down well his movement of the ball is good once he gets fully settled in this team and we have the full supporting cast around him I think we're really going to see his worth now for me Dahomey was my Whitecaps man of the match he had three shots two of them were on target he had one key pass 79.2% passing percentage, he won two tackles, he had five dribbles, so all in all he was busy, just needs to work in his finishing a little bit. He is our leading scorer just now, but he could be so much more of our leading scorer if he was taking some more of these chances. I agree with you, Uh, although others didn't, because the the VWFC player of quality of the game was Diber Caicedo. Yeah. I like I like that term a lot better than man of the match or really player. quality yeah. player of the game player of quality player of quality. I think it has something to do with tying with the sponsor of that, yes. of that thing, but I like it. I think I think Colin Miller might like it uh, the sound of that better. That no, happen. I agree. The homie was I think still really good in this game. But that is it for our look over that game. We've got another game coming up thick and fast on Sunday and we'll be back looking ahead to Sporting Kansas City after a little bit of music. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. You need to stay up out the streets if you can't take the heat. Cause it get cold like Minnesota. Cold like Minnesota. Cold like Minnesota. You need to stay up out the streets if you can't take the heat. You need to stay up out the streets if you can't take the heat. Cause it get cold like Minnesota. Cold like Minnesota. Cold like Minnesota. Lil Yori there, Minnesota. The song I like to dig out when we play Minnesota, that's in the past now. We're going to move forward. We're going to be looking ahead to the Whitecaps game that is coming up. But before that, let's do a little quick MLS roundup for the action that took place on Wednesday night. And for once, I actually want to start on the East Coast and the Eastern Conference. Because let's look at our our Canadian friends from down in Florida. Because it was two good wins for them. RTFC turning a corner. It was a 2-0 win for them over the MLS champs Columbus. Goals from Bradley and a late one from Altidore. Columbus had their opportunities. Uh, They'll probably be ruining that. But that said, it felt like Columbus, they're not fully clicking yet. TFC had a couple of squandered opportunities as well, but it feels like they're maybe starting to find a groove a little bit. That would be something for us to have a little monitor on. But Montreal, they got back to winning ways big time after their loss to the Whitecaps at the weekend. In a battle of two home sides, they saw off into Miami 2-0. And let's say, like, into Miami looked terrible at times in this one. Bjorn Johnson got his first MLS goals, two of them in fact in the 14th and the 25th minute. Eric Hurtado, God bless him, threw and go in the second half, could have put the the game to bed. His control let him down. I know that could shock everybody, 
but he squanders a really good chance for Montreal. James Pantemis got the start for Montreal in this one, kept a clean sheet. Montreal dominated this game. They had 11 shots to Miami's 6, 4 shots on goal to Miami's 1, and it was a win that moved Montreal to the top of the East. Was it, was it Iguain brothers missing for this one as well? No. Um, they were back. Yeah, one started, one came on at half-time. One yeah. thing I want to say about the Montreal games, like I, I enjoy watching Montreal play the last couple of years, but I've been relying mainly on the highlights because their games are shown on TVA. Yeah. So most people here, you're only going to have that if you've got the French language package. I don't know how big that is out, out west. Some of their games are on TSN. The, the next one this weekend against Atlanta, for example, it is on TSN. I just feel that with these games being shown on TVA, they should be available live on the zone in English language. I don't see how that impacts anything, no pun intended, but or influences anything, as maybe Steve would say. But I, I, I just wish we could see all three of the Canadian teams live. It's just I find it very frustrating. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think one of the reasons maybe it doesn't happen is because I think football is a game where I don't know about you guys, but to me, it doesn't matter what language is on. If it's on, I'll, I'll watch it. You know, like it doesn't like you know. Sometimes it's almost better if you're watching it in the 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 the, the native language. Oh yeah, well, I was watching all those Faroe Islands games last year in Danish, and I was loving that. Yeah, so maybe that has something to do with it. It's, it's a little bit different than like you know. It's not like you're trying to watch you know friends from spanish to english or vice versa or something right like it's a as in the tv show yeah oh yeah <laughs> you know just sitting watching friends speaking spanish and trying to translate that into english i don't know you're very multicultural out there in the the interior but how were the how were the highlights for the, that game were they because uh, yes. I, I listened to the highlights and it was kind of crazy there yeah, I was telling Steve about this earlier. Do you know who was doing the colour commentary for the Miami local broadcast? Blake Price? Ray Hudson. Oh, yeah, that's his local. He lives down there. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how his shtick plays out with the Floridians because when, when Hurtado was through and goal and I missed it, he was like, Hurtado going through like a torpedo there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I don't really like his commentary. I don't really appreciate it. But... Well, he's taken a lot of his his shtick from a darts commentator in the UK, Sid Waddell. He's also a Geordie. They sound very similar. He basically stole his act and turned it into football over here. So I I can take it or leave it. I do find it amusing watching those highlights. It, it was quite entertaining, I've, I've got to say. But let's get on to the Western Conference because we know the West is the best. And there was two other games to talk about in the, the West this Wednesday night. Seattle beat San Jose 1-0 in an eventful match between the, the top two in the Western Conference at the moment. Quakes thought they had got a penalty in the 17th minute when Toledo deemed that Nuhu had handled in the box. That was overruled by VAR. Seattle then went up the pitch and scored the, the only goal of the game, as it turned out. There's a scramble in the box. It broke to Christian Roldan. He fired it home. It was a it was an entertaining game, as I think you'd expect between these two at the moment. Between them, the teams had 32 shots. Seattle had 17, but off that 17, they only got one on target, which was the, their goal. San Jose 
edge possession, 60-40. They'll feel they should probably have done way better with the chances they created, the possession they had. And the closing minutes of this one was just crazy. Stephen Fry went off injured. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It looked a really, really bad injury. They haven't commented on it yet. Uh, They're going to do an update on Friday. I've read some of the comments from some of the the Seattle media. There's concerns that it could be a really bad one, maybe even a season-ending one. And I know Steve will say I've always got these guys going as season-ending injuries. But basically, he went up for a a ball with Shane O'Neill. He landed and he just twisted it really, really bad. His knee just looks totally gone. And then as soon as he hit the deck, he was pounding the deck. He was in a lot of pain. So, I mean, I, I wish my donut-eating friend all the very best. And, yeah, that looked a bad one. It forced Alex Roldan, though, to, to go between the sticks. And after that, Seattle had used all the subs. They couldn't bring anyone else on. San Jose tried to bombard high balls into the box to test him. I think he made three saves in the end. Um. San Jose couldn't get get the breakthrough. It ends up extending Seattle's lead at the top to four points. Early days, but are they looking unstoppable in the West this year? Seattle, for me, um, I think they they took it a little easy on San Jose because I think they realized it was a midweek game, and uh, and I uh, that's a scary thing about them because of the fact that they kind of seemed like they were in cruise control and they still won the game. Um, San Jose had chances, but they weren't great chances. Basically, they seemed to be really into uh, taking out the opposition goalkeeper, like you said, because uh, they knocked Stim Fry and they, they kind of knocked into Roldan too at one point where they just rolled yeah. them over. Yeah. Um, the thing is, the weird thing is that the, uh, I, it seems like you're right. It is a scary injury for Stephen Fry only because that I didn't even get to see it. They didn't even show yeah, it. Yeah, they cut that on, out of the highlights. Uh, yeah, and you expect them to show that in the highlights. It must be like, and I thought, oh boy, that must be serious because that's what that was my first thought before I even read anything about it. Because yeah. I was going, because I saw rolled on in the net, and I go, where did that happen? Yeah. And then I had to rewind the highlights and see what exactly happened. So yeah, I, 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 I watched the first half live, and then I just watched uh, the highlights after the game, and I, I was the same. I was like, what happened to Fry? Yeah, in that, those closing minutes, and then I went on the MLS site, and they've got it, and it's a it's a horrible looking twist. It really is, but a bad looking one. Uh, who are you going to celebrate with at the end of the year? Then I don't know. I I have decided that, assuming things aren't scary with any weird variants flying around, wherever the MLS Cup is this year, I think I'm going to go to. For, so from saving up on all the travel that you haven't done the Yes, last, pretty much. You're not? Really? Okay. Either that or I'll go back to the UK. I might try and do both, but I I, I don't know. Are we it, taking the AFTN jet? or? Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. I mean, if we're lucky, it'll be in Seattle, so we can just drive down. But what, what about you, Zach? How are you feeling about Seattle just now? It's, it's very early, and obviously... All that really matters in the grand scheme of things is who performs good in the playoffs. But they're they're looking good for a team that people thought might fade away a little bit this year. They've started very strong. And you have to think they're probably going to make some additions in the summer as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the big hope for those who don't like them is that they're doing a reverse of what they usually do, where they usually start <laughs> yes. off horrible and then they just like crescendo 
to where they're standing in confetti. And so I, th- I think everyone's hoping they're going to decrescendo and be just steadily get worse by the end of the year. Now, the other game on Wednesday in the West, it's of big interest to Vancouver as it's our next opponents. Sporting Kansas City headed to Texas, went down to a 1-0 loss to Houston Dynamo somehow because Casey dominated at times in this. They dominated possession, 56-44, to 16 shots to 5. They had 100 more passes. Houston got one shot on target in the whole game, which was their goal, and Iruti got it in the 56th minute. They should have probably got a second. Fafa Pico was through on goal, and it looks like he was trying to set up his teammate that was running in, but I think it was meant to be a shot, and he just mishit it. In the end, it ended up being neither. But afterwards, I, I listened to Peter Vermees. I was going to put some of the audio in for Peter Vermees, but he didn't really address Sunday's game at all. Obviously not happy. Some of the questions he was getting asked as well wasn't great, but he, he basically put down their defeat to giving the ball away far too much. He said Houston gave the ball away as well, but we didn't punish them for it, whereas we gave the ball away and they punished us for it. He said that he didn't feel Houston did anything special and it was all down to them just not performing at all. Johnny Russell went off with a groin injury in this one after 20 minutes, kind of nixing my hopes of chatting to him on this episode. So we'll see how bad that injury is. I think he might be out, though, for for Sunday's game, which is good from a Whitecaps point of view because he always seems to give us a bit of a torrid time. Steve, do you you think he got injured just so he didn't have a soccer Michael? Possibly. Mm. That is possible. I had all my questions about Scotland and the Euros lined up, so I'll have to have to save that. But if it is a groin injury, that will probably definitely rule Russell out of the Euros for, for Scotland. He was borderline to make it anyway, just because of quarantine and travel and everything like that. So I think this will probably be the end of his Euros dream, which will be, be sad for him. But anyway, getting back to this game, because it's not the Johnny Russell show, I have pitched that, but Johnny hasn't replied to my phone calls. The win moved Houston above Vancouver, and it kept KC two places back off the caps on goal difference. But let's set up Sunday's game. It's an 11 o'clock in the morning kickoff Pacific time, so it's 1pm local time. You want the Canadians to do well in this one because KC Stadium is going to be the home stadium for all three of Canada's group games at the Gold Cup, including their big one against the US. So we'll see how that goes. So this one, the teams are tied on seven points. Both are 2-2-1 two, two and one for this season. The Caps have scored four, sorry, the Caps have scored five and conceded four, which is the second best goals against it in the West, incidentally. KC have scored six and conceded seven. It's going to be the 21st meeting in MLS between the two teams. KC have 11 wins. Caps have five wins, four draws. Caps have not done great down at KC, though. The only meeting last season was that 0-0 draw at MLS's back that ended in the 3-1 penalty after extra time win for KC. Of course, we all remember that 6-0 horror show from April 2018. That was a definite low point in all the team's meetings. How are you feeling heading into this one, guys? So I, I, 
I feel like this is almost like a carbon copy of what we're gonna go. What happened this past weekend to this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, where a team has lost, and um, the, it would have been nice if the Kansas City won, so they weren't as low. And and will they bounce back? Because Vancouver always seems to run into these teams that are on losing streaks, and then Vancouver seems to be that uh, that uh, they, you know that's uh, the the streak break breaker or whatever you want to call it. Well, they're not, um, they're, they've only lost one because they they won at the weekend. But yeah, I know. But, they they, well, they had left it late against Austin. I mean, they nearly lost that one. The, that's what I mean. Like the, uh, Kansas City is not performing up to their standards no. right now, and so that's where I'm I'm worried that that the they'll see the Whitecaps and they'll feel. But again, they're very similar team. Um, to what Minnesota is, where if you attack them, they they show that they are vulnerable. Austin showed it in the first half uh, against them, and then Houston showed it here, where if you attack them and you don't like respect them as much, that they are vulnerable at the, especially at the back. Because uh, we talked about it last weekend, this week this weekend, uh, them losing Beasler is very similar to Minnesota not having Aikopara mm. in, in the lineup, and 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 there is something lacking in the back there. How you feeling going into the the weekend, Zach? Yeah, it does feel like from the past and a little bit, maybe at least from the Minnesota game, that the Whitecaps tend to be a remedy for teams who are not w- either winning or, as Steve said, pr- performing at their level, um, especially when they're on the road. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I think this is the first time, this is match day five, and I think it was the first time I actually got the result right. Mm, I know. Um, I I need. I should start us doing because they're doing this on our our good friends out in Montreal. The ball is round. They've they keep a tally of of the predictions and stuff. So I, I I'm going to look back on our things. And I'm going to do it. If we get it bang on, we'll get three points. If we get the correct result, we'll get two points. Actually, let's make it four points for a correct. No, let's say five for a correct result, and. Do you want two or three if we get the right winner or res- like win, lose, draw? So five for correct score line. Yep. And then two or three for right result. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Three is maybe reasonable. And one for showing up? Yeah. <laughs> maybe let's just go with two then. Five and two because then that makes it yeah. worth getting. I don't, I don't know what score I gave, but I'm pretty sure I said Minnesota was going to win. Probably, but, uh, and I might be wrong. Listeners might be like shouting at the at their at their phones or whatever. They'll, they'll remember better than me, anyway. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I, I honestly, in this one, because I think I anticipate a lot of changes from Vancouver. Uh, I, I I anticipate that uh, Kansas City will win this game. Yeah, I I got to say, we'll, we'll get our full predictions at the end. I mean, looking at the stats for this season, they're pretty pretty balanced to the the two teams so far. Casey's had more shots, 20 more shots actually than Vancouver, 64 to 45, well 19. But they've both managed 21 shots on goal, so it doesn't matter having shots if you're not hitting the target. Passing accuracy, the Caps have been better at passing, but most of the other stats are pretty level pegging. I don't really know what kind of Casey we're going to get in this one. Because as Steve touched on there, they've they've looked susceptible this season, especially at set pieces, especially with teams that's doing counters and running at them. And you feel that plays into the Whitecaps if we had 
Dahomey and Caicedo on from the start, and I'm not 100% sure that, that we will. I mean, it, it is four, three to four days, I guess three and a half days, between games, so I mean, there could be some good recovery. But with all of that in mind then, t- team-wise for this one, like, let's start at the back. Defensively, do you see many changes? Let, let's just hope that Gaspar is good to go. Because I think if Gaspar is good to go, he's going to get the start. And Gutierrez is obviously going to be at left-back, Max and goal. Centre-back pairing, I guess, is the, the thing. If it is a groin strain for Andy, you have to think he's probably going to be out. So yeah, yeah. D- does that just make it Cornelius and Ranko by default? I think, yeah, and I think MDS might have been planning for that anyways. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think regardless that Derek uh, didn't play as well as we think he can, and uh, I, and, we, and we know from Derek too, he get he's better with a run of form, like a run of games as opposed to just spot starts and spot minutes but um yeah you th- i think derek's got to be in there and andy's out the, there's the wild card as well though of godoy who is back training but wasn't like good to go for this one maybe he'll be good to go for kc do you throw him right in is that too big a risk i think you you gotta feel 100 percent certain that he's good to go like yeah, you don't want you don't want to bring him back too early, and then he gets injured again, and then he's gone for the rest yeah. of the year. I would even say that they have what four games to go. I and uh, I would say let him stay, sit as much as possible. Like there's only this game, another game, and then um, and they're all on the two, yeah. I think there's just two more. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's two more, and then there's June 23rd or something yeah. is the next one. So why not just leave Godoy out of it for now and just go with Ranko and Cornelius? Because the next one's Houston away, and again heat humidity of Houston you maybe don't want to throw him in but there's also the chemistry aspect because at least Ranko and Cornelius got that 45 minutes of chemistry it might not have been great at times but something to build on but then obviously Ranko and Godoy had some good chemistry last year I just think it would be too much of a risk to throw Godoy into this one maybe throw him into Houston if you feel that he's he's comfortable just to get him some time but I think we'll probably see Cornelius and Ranko and Gaspar unless he can't go and then I guess they'll they'll bring Jake back which isn't the end of the world because he's obviously been been playing well the midfield so if we're assuming it's 4-4-2 because that's what Mark really wants to, to go with as the identity what changes do, do you make because it needs to be some that needs freshened up I w- obviously I would go with uh, Kyle um, and then because you've got Baldy, you've got Obusu. Yeah, I would go. I would try Baldy out. I wish they would with Kyle and see what you can get. But I think they will go with Obusu then. In that case, um, and then on the wings, um, I don't see how you get away from Diber. Uh, if he's if he's healthy and he's fit enough to play, then I think he goes. And then honestly, who are you going to play on the left side? I think it's Tybert again. I don't. I know. I, I know you want freshmen, but there's not no real options. In those positions, the only thing I could see is maybe Ricketts plays in on the wing, but they yeah, barely bring him in as a sub. You could throw Raposo in, but yeah, is his defensive play going to be enough to allow Gutierrez to get forward? Yeah, I think I think Russell is the be- the best fit for w- how they're playing right now. I don't honestly, I personally would never play Ricketts wide in midfield. 
I would only yeah. read them if you're playing with three at the top. Three at the top. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. There. Or, or I guess maybe you could say four, two, three, one in one of those wide spots, and maybe that's similar to four, whatever. But well, I yeah. Never, I would never call him a midfielder personally. No, you're right. Well, let, let's say that. Like I'm saying, four, four, two. Does MDS stick with four, four, two, or does he try and think, you know, I might not have the personnel to do what I want. I might go four, two, three, one. I might go four, three, three. Well, the Whitecaps have shown that they don't. What they've said in the past doesn't necessarily have to shape the future. So maybe, <laughs> I mean, four two three one might make a bit of sense here. Even transferring it into four five one just to try and clog up that midfield a little bit. I I would like to see. I'm with Steve Kyle and Baldy. I think would be a very dynamic midfield pairing. But I think we might see Owusu in. But Bikel did do well. I think that was his best game of the season uh, against Minnesota. But again, it's like you're risk running these guys into the ground. I don't know. The other thing we didn't mention, I don't think we were talking about the game. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we're not both of the headed chances by Cavallini created from Russell Tyberg crosses? I think they were. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I do like Russell out on the left, and I know he's much maligned. His salary that we'll talk about in the next part probably isn't helping people that aren't big fans of him already just now. But, but one, one thing I want to mention that, um, uh, like MDS mentioned it in the post game podcast, he wants to keep a very similar team. Like, I know that, yeah. and the thing is, is he mentioned that these guys have been waiting four months to play. Um, if you want to rotate the squad, that's going to be done more in the later parts of the year. Uh, but in these parts of the year, that in this early part of the season, he feels that they're fit enough to play multiple games uh, in a week. See, he, th- th- here's my argument on this because I, I agree with that. Like this summer, we know it's going to be very disjointed. Lots of players are going to be away, so I, I get the clamor for seeing these young guys, and uh, if you don't play the young guys, how do they learn? How do they get those competitive minutes? How do they develop? I don't think it's right just to throw them in. And just because they're they're Canadian, just because they're homegrown, you've got to put the best available players on the park at the right time. And for, for the guys, it's like, oh, I touched on this in last week, put Bear in or play Raposo or play Derek Cornelius. Are they really better? than what you could else have in there. Like, if Godoy was fit, would you play Cornelius in a partnership ahead of Godoy and Ranko? And I think the majority would say no. Theo Bear, where does he fit into an attack when you've got Cavallini, Dahomey and Caicedo playing great and linking up well and then you're maybe, hopefully, adding a number 10 into the mix as well? I just don't get why you would want to be starting these guys. I know everyone's got high hopes for Baldy and they want him to develop. Is he a better midfielder just now than Alexandra, Bikel, Obuso? You could maybe argue a little bit with Obuso and Bikel, but again, bring him off the bench. Up front, do you go with Kava again? Do you run him into the, the ground? Dahomey, I feel you go with just because of how he's how well he's been playing. And if Ricketts is good to go, Ricketts and Dahomey up front, I think would be an exciting one. Even just looking at how it looked like Cavill was tired, I would hope someone like Ricketts could start 
up top. And if the home is good to go, I would keep playing him. But I think I would give Kaba a rest at some point. I haven't asked MDS yet about David Igbo because he's floated in and out of the bench. And I don't know if that's anything to do with injury or if it's down to the training aspect of everything again. But there was a lot of talk of, oh, he might be the guy in the summer that can help us carry things over when Kava's away. Because right now, it, you're not seeing anybody that might be the person that takes over from Kava when Kava's away from, with Canada, which is a little bit concerning. I guess you can play maybe Dahomey on his own or even Dahomey and Caicedo up top, but that, that's for another day. Let's just finish this part off with, with our predictions. I, I think it looks like we're all going for a KC win. What is your scoreline? 6-0 KC. No, um, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm going to say 3-1 Kansas City. Oh, Steve? 4-1 oh, if Johnny plays. Sorry, oh, I know he's not playing. 4-1 is my actual prediction. So. Oh, okay. I got 2-1 Kansas City. Oh, well, at least we've all got the white cap scoring, so we'll have something to, to cheer us on. So that game is 11am on Sunday. We'll be back with our usual post-game roundup and weekend analysis on Sunday, Monday. We'll, we'll see what we do with that. That is it for this part. That is not it for the white caps chat, though. We're going to have one more part where we're going to be looking at the white caps and MLS salaries that come out this week. But we'll be back with this. After we hear the next song from this month's Artist of the Month, Adam and the Ants, with a little bit of ant music. Hi, I'm Johnny Russell and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Adam and the Ants from 1980, their second album, Kings of the Wild Frontier, and that was their hit single, Ant Music. But we're going to be turning our attention away from the action on the pitch in this part. We're going to be looking at MLS salaries, white cap salaries, after them not being announced in, in 2020, although they are now up on the MLSPA website. If you want to check that out, you can check out all the, the 2020 salaries. It was announced today... On Thursday, the Whitecap salaries for 2021, the MLS salaries for 2021. It's that time of year 
where we all sit and we analyse what people are paid. I still don't really like it, even though I delve into all the things every year. It's good, I guess, to have the transparency, but it's still weird to me, just seeing what, what people are paid. It's just not something I, I'm used to from football. I know it's a big thing here in North America. I mean, what's your guys take on it? Do you, do you like it? Do you like seeing these? Well, I'm I'm used to it. It's, it's something that I'm used to. I like uh, the NFL, NHL, NBA. They all show the salaries of the players, and rarely does anybody. I feel, I feel like in in soccer, it, it 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 comes up more where people are uncomfortable with it. In in those sports, it's common thing. Everybody knows how much everybody makes. Uh, everybody knows the top player is going to make the top player. I think it's in MLS. It's because there's such a disparity. Uh, between the top players, but you got a, a certain players that are, um, you know, making twelve million in in like the top NHL player on one team makes twelve million, and there's a player that makes eight hundred thousand, which is um, a different type of this this like uh, you know gap or whatever, because the lowest player in MLS makes sixty thousand. So that that is a huge, uh, bigger gap, different different type of gap. But that's what I'm saying. Like I think it's because of that that people probably are a little bit more uncomfortable with it. What about you, Zach? How do how do you feel about this? Because I know some of the players' wives in the past have spoken out negatively uh, about it. Maybe it's just from where I come from. It just feels a little bit weird. I tend to agree with Steve in terms of like in this community, this is commonplace for sports. So in that sense, it's normal. In the world of football, it's like mostly like at most clubs, like you you can look on transfer market and come to understand or papers will report what, whatever. But like a lot of clubs, they don't, sorry, in places I watch football, they don't get reported by the clubs, right? It's not a, they don't go around saying this is who's getting what or whatever. Yeah. It's more um, uh, um, like you think about the Bundesliga, you, you don't often hear what the players are making. You hear what, like journalists find out they're making or whatever, but it's not like yeah. But it's not reported by the clubs here. This is the MLS union that's yeah, that's it true. Out. The the union wants it out there, and but I mean, whilst I'm saying I don't really like it, I'm gonna tear them apart now and delve into all these figures because I do love that aspect of it as well. So what we'll do is we'll kind of look at who we feel is some good value. We haven't discussed this, so. It'll be interesting to see if we all on the same page here. Who's bad value? If there's any sort of really ugly figures out there on the white caps, and then we'll kind of look around at the rest of the league as well. So the white caps ranked bottom of salaries at eight point seven million. I know. No. I I was surprised as well. Wait, what happened I, to that? I know you're being facetious, but I genuinely was surprised because of what they spent on transfer fees. I thought that would also then equate into salaries and some of it might carry over into salaries and, and stuff like that. So I, yeah. I was surprised they were rock bottom. I genuinely was. What what happened to Jeff Mallet, I believe it was? Like, was it two years ago? Maybe, was it that long ago even? It might even be three. When he's, when he's talking about being the top third. Yeah, moving yeah. back towards the top third. Like, what? what like, how... How are people not uh, asking that at every opportunity? But they can move up. I mean, it's only it's only been a day, but 
True, and it's like no one they didn't have any media availability today. Although JJ did speak to Axel, which will come in a second. But I mean, Steve, there is a possibility that they're going to move off the bottom if they get some additional. Yeah, if if that one player that they're looking at, whether it's two million, three million, whatever they're going to spend on them, uh, that would bring them up into you know you know ten past ten million dollars. Well, I mean, for, for what I want to pay for Johnny Russell, that will that will take <laughs> us into the the top five of spending. I feel, and Scott Arfield th- doesn't come cheap either. Yeah, I don't think Johnny Ar- Russell would be. Uh, Johnny uh, Arfield, we've, we've uh-huh. mutated them. No, Johnny Russell is not a number ten, so I wouldn't no, put I him know. in that position. But uh, yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I I feel like if they do that, if they do hold on to that promise or or uh, you know that goal to bring that number ten in, I think they will be in that position and as you can see by this you know the you know how much each team is spending um it's not always a guarantee that you're gonna if you spend the money you're gonna get results this is early season but there's a lot of teams that are high spending that are not getting results right now okay but in general when you look at a football club and their squad you the quality they have is reflected in what they're what they're spending in general, okay, don't get me wrong. There are exceptions on both sides. There's there's ditches there's, on both sides of that road. There's a lot of exceptions in this year, so far. And now, but obviously, you're, you're talking about MLS. I'm talking about just in football in general. Uh, I, this is the league but, they play in. Yeah, sure. Uh, but here's the problem: when you look at the Whitecaps, and this is what we like, I've said all along, and I've heard both of you say at various points in the MLS tenure for the for the Whitecaps, is just how poorly. It appears that they're using the mechanisms and the things that they can to build a roster. They don't have anyone who makes over 1.5 million to be a, like a true DP. Their DPs are like TAM level players for other teams. And where are their TAM level players? After the two guys who are making over a million, there's the next is what, 500,000, which is just at the or just barely around the DP threshold. Yeah, like, that's correct. So, where, like, unless. Because I don't think these salaries are meant to hide the TAM and GAM that, that players no. are getting. No, no. So where the heck are the TAM players on the Vancouver Whitecaps? Well, what you've got to look at at the moment is the two DPs, so they've got a free DP spot. They can also bring in another young player with the mechanism as well. So the I guess what what you're looking at, the players that would maybe... I'm I'm basing this on performance, not the quality of the player. So with how they've been playing just now, you'd maybe think the likes of Dahomey, Caicedo, uh, Alexandre, and Gaspar. Those four could potentially be TAM players in the future. Just one quick comment about that. Gaspar's alone, right? Yes. Yeah, he's he's actually, uh, on the salary thing, he's... Very lowly paid compared exactly. to other I was going to say, that's the only way his salary is what it is. It's the yep. only way he's making less money in MLS than like Jake Norinsky. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's making more from his parent club. Yeah. Ho- hopefully that, that's the only reason why. JJ Adams in the province. He spoke to Axel Schuster uh, today for his, his article. If you haven't seen that, definitely check it out. It's an interesting piece. So he was, Axel was asked about the Whitecaps being bottom in spending. So this is his quote. And we were talking about this before we recorded, so I'm sure Zach will have a few things to say on this. He says, I think that's a compliment for me. We are last in spending and wages, and I think that's a compliment 
because if you see the output yesterday in our game, it has nothing to do with spending and salary and wages. I think that the times are over, and should be over, where we have to convince players by money to come. This is the last argument I want to use to convince somebody to come to Vancouver. I know that wages and money are an important piece for everyone, but I don't want to convince people by paying more than I think is the right price. So there's a few things you can take for that, just building on the last comment first. So he, he doesn't want to overpay for people for the right price. So again, I'm playing devil's advocate here and looking at both sides. You could say then that we've got players that aren't worth getting paid more. So that's why we have a low salary. Of course, no one wants to pay someone more than they're worth. Like that's like, I mean, that's such a common sense statement that it's like, vanilla it's meaningless but i guess what he's meaning by that is you look at how the team's playing just now and they're playing good so would you rather have spent more money on getting different players to what we currently have and they may not necessarily be performing as good as this current team is i think they yes you, they, the white caps as, as a football club should want better players that will cost them more money yeah, I, 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 it seems like to me like they're the they're doing like a uh, in baseball what's called a money ball system where mm -hmm. they're getting more value. But the problem is, um, even with the you know the the team that originated the money ball thing, um, they were never able to win a championship. Um, the people the, well, that won with that system were the ones that spent money eventually, mm -hmm. and they spent it rightly, but. Like the team that I would um, say is probably the most efficient this early in the season is Seattle, because uh, they're yeah. not one of the, they're not one of the highest salary teams, uh, but they definitely have uh, the you know the best points per game, um, and so I think they're probably the team that you want to um, follow, and then there's teams like. Uh, on the other side, like we talked about, you, just because you spend money doesn't mean you're making like you're you're spending it wisely. Teams that are not spending wisely, I'll, you can name a few of them: Cincinnati, uh, Phil, Cincinnati Philadelphia, oh, yeah. Inter Miami. Well, they're not, and this is again early on in the season. Philadelphia is third. They've, they're just a little bit higher than the Whitecaps, and Philadelphia yeah. won oh, the Sports Shield. I didn't mean Philadelphia. I meant Chicago. Oh, I meant, to, I meant yeah. to say Chicago. Chicago is. Oh yes, that, who I watched yeah. their game tonight. Holy cow, they are a bad team. For thirteen point yeah. six three million in wages, they are terrible. Not as bad yeah. as Cincinnati at fifteen point five million in wages, but that'll be yeah. an interesting game when they meet. The thing, the other thing about about Axel's comment, Michael, is it sounds like a comment of uh, of someone who's still working at Mainz. Because if you're at Mainz, that's the like, that's the good attitude. You need to have that. Like, you need to have that kind of kind of approach. Kind of approach. It, it, like we were joking about or talking about before, it feels like there's a disconnect from what ownership has said not that long ago to what Axel said today. And the Whitecaps are not really great at communication. They might want to disagree with that, but they need to communicate uh, their who they are and what they're trying to do far, far better um, because I, I, they've given extreme mixed messages that infuriate and frustrate people who try to like them and support them. The thing, when these came out, 
and I saw that the White Cats were bottom in spending, I knew right away what the reaction was going to be online, which was like, oh, it's the same cheap White Caps, they're not spending any money, where's the Alfonso Davies money gone, etc., etc. But you equate that, that in 2020, the White Caps were the biggest spending team in CONCACAF and transfer fees. So that's where the money's gone. It's gone on transfer fees. So I feel it's good business to get these guys in at the money that they're on. But here, here's the thing. Uh, here's the other thing that people, if they, if they aren't aware of or they haven't observed in the last decade, is MLS, for all its foibles and all the negative things about how it, you know, the structure to it and stuff, it is a league that it is, if you, if you look around, it's not that hard to, to turn your fortunes around. And Vancouver yeah. have, not, have consistently not been able to do that. And they seem to be regressing instead of progressing. But they're, they've been regressing a little bit because MDS took over a mess and then his recruitment was equally a mess, I feel, in the, the early going as well. But but the thing that MDS called a mess was created by the people who are still here and in charge of all of that. They The ones who, who set up a plan that caused the mess that MDS didn't like, they're the ones still making the decisions. They're the ones still here. They are the problem, not those who have left or not MDS who's come in. It's those who are making those decisions who are the problem. I, I just don't think you can say just now that the White Caps aren't spending money because they have on transfer fees. I, I never said they didn't spend money. No, no I, I'm just saying, but, but, but other league, people have. Yeah, oh, yeah, in relation to the rest of the league, they're not That's spending That's where it is all relative sure. because, yeah. Right, let, let's let's look. We'll, we'll get to some of the other teams again in a sec, but let, let's dig into the salaries. I thought, let's do this kind of positionally. So let's look at the defence first of all. Who stands out for you as being good value defensively? Crepeau. Well, yeah, well, let, let's start with the keepers then. So Crepeau is on 277, which is a, a 20 grand increase from last year. Now, for your starting keeper... A good keeper, a quality keeper that's an international keeper, I think that's pretty good value. What we've had in the past here, though, I feel have been some backups on stupid money. And you've got Hassan in just over 80,000. You've got Newton just over 100,000. I like that. I think that is very good salary management on that part. You've also and got Boomer Isaac Bomer as well, yeah. I mean, I mean all, all the young guys... All the homegrown guys are, are good value. I mean, let's just say that now. But, or on the whole, they're the good value with good potential. But I think goalkeeping-wise, it, it's excellent. Do you remember a decade ago when, like, the, the bottom-end guys were making, like, 30-ish, 30 yeah. to 35? Yeah. And everyone used to feel bad for them living in Vancouver? Can can anyone say the same on, like, a kid making 65000 living in Vancouver? If they're living at home, I think that's great. If they have still got to fend for themselves, it's it's not easy, easy. But I know a few of them, I think, are sharing accommodation as well. So I, I asked that an honest question. Is $65,000 not enough to live in Vancouver in an apartment? Or? No, that I don't think that would be enough in Vancouver, Vancouver. You have to be in the suburbs. Yeah, if you were downtown in a one-bedroom place, I think you could probably get by on 65000 few of these guys are going to be staying with family as well so i think it is good wages yeah it's, it's, a, it's a genuine question yeah. um, but then you turn it to cpl and it's like yeah it's way better than someone from cpl because victoria isn't that much cheaper than vancouver 
and those guys are basically on half or less. But also, that. I guess the, the other thing is you got to remember a guy like uh, David Egbo, Egbo I'm guessing, mm. he he's he's probably living at the Monterey on a much cheaper rent than a yes. normal person in Vancouver. So, and that that could also be factored in as well with other little perks and and stuff for for folk that's living in that accommodation. But I mean, any disagreement that the goalkeepers is good value? Yeah, no, no disagreements here. Right back. We'll just look at the two main ones. So you've got Gashbar on 233-333. That's not bad. And we discussed, obviously, why. Because his parent club's probably paying a lot of that. No, his parent club's probably paying a lot above that. Oh, yeah. So that's what what I was meant to say. But then you've got Jake, who, of course, has signed a new deal. His salary last year to this year has gone up over 100,000. He's on 270,000. Which for a domestic right back that has not been producing what you want from a full back, I think that's a high salary. That is a high yeah, that is a high salary. And I have a, a an idea of why some of these players are paid higher than they are, including Russell Tybert. Um you go do you want me to go through that right now? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure if they do have this. I, I know they have it in other leagues, but in other leagues they have what's called a MLS uh, no no sorry a salary cap floor where you have to spend a certain amount in minimum in order to uh, fit with the CBA. I don't know if MLS has that in their in their records or not. Whether that mm. is the case, and if that's the case, maybe they gave uh, guys like. Uh, uh, Russell Tybert, uh, an extra what was a one sixty or something like that, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. His, his and then and up. Jake got an extra one hundred because they knew they weren't going to be able to spend to that floor, so they had to give some people extra money in order to make it happen. I didn't know if it was like anything tied in with longevity in the league, yeah, as no. well. I I think there is a little bit of that. Like for Russell Tybert, who's been in the league ten years, like ten years or eleven years or whatever. Uh, I think there you, you you have to go up minimal amounts, and when you've been there that long, it, it adds up. Maybe I could look it, that up. Is mm. the is the eight point seven million? Is that the like the the floor of the salary budget? That's that's what I'm thinking. Maybe that's the reason why. That's why they have to give up. Give somebody. I, I've never money. heard of that. I've got to say, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's MLS. There's weird and wacky rules well, all no, over the place. But the, like I said, this this is in NHL, NBA, and mm. NFL where they have salary caps. They have a minimum floor that you have to spend too. Steve, Steve, what you're saying is true. Doesn't it make the makeup of the roster even look worse? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah, because that I, Cause I don't in, think that's true. But that, that, it, would, that would be awful. I mean, if that and, was, and 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 the, and like I said, like there are some teams. Like uh, I'll give an example: um, a team in in, in the NHL, uh, like the their Arizona Coyotes, and what they do is they acquire um, a player who uh, is probably retired, who, or, and but is still being paid or injured, um, and and might have a, a a high cap figure but a low salary. So that way they can boost their, their cap number higher, but not have to pay them as much. Um, so there are teams like that, and that I, I know I'm probably going into too much right now, and probably you guys are, might not be understanding that, but it does happen where they have to kind of wrangle in order to make the the numbers work. See, part of the reason that I think the white cap salary is so low, and it's not even based on anything to do with 
like being cheap or anything like that, is they've got so many homegrown guys that are on the lower end of the scale. So because of that, that's obviously going to make their salary budget a lot lower. The flip side of that is there are other teams as well, though, that have a lot of homegrown guys and they have higher salaries. But I think that definitely factors into it. Let's look at the the, the other side, the other fullback side now. So if we have a look at left back, we've got Christian Gutierrez. He's gone up 70,000 from last year. He's on 167 and a half. And then you've got Ali Adnan, which 1.227, basically 1.228 million, which for a left back, I know he has performed in terms of assists. I know he's an international player, but that discrepancy between the two of them for the output you're getting between the two of them is vast. I, I mean, not only are you the bottom spenders in the league, but one eighth of your salary has not been able to contribute. Now I know that's, they say or the assumption or what they've said is that's beyond their control. But if it, in fact, it is just because if he's not with the team in part, because they're going to move him, it makes this even worse mm. because there's no way it's hard to believe that they're going to bring in another left back. Well, they're not going to bring in another left back who makes that amount of money. No. Right. Uh, I mean, the, the athletic put together their, oh, their right. team of the highest paid 11 for each position and Ali Adnan is the highest paid left back no no surprises there okay and and and, and just I just want to reiterate Ali Adnan is the high like you said is the highest left back at 1.2 on the opposite side on the right side the highest right back is Graham Zussi and he's 713 mm-hmm. um so that's basically and he's I, and long, I longevity in the league yeah, yeah, and I don't think there's another left back that probably makes around that much. I have to we have to really look into that what the next highest paid left back is, but I don't think there's another left back that's more than a million dollars. Just since we're talking about Ali, he's he's left Vancouver now. He hasn't what? got his visa sorted out. He's he's left Vancouver because he's gone to join the Iraqi national oh, team right. for their friendlies and then the World Cup qualifiers. I genuinely don't expect to see him back after this. I'll be very surprised if he rejoins the team in, in July. I I know I, I do a lot of uh, hypotheticals and conspiracy theories, but I'm I'm still thinking that this was just a con that just to the, not going to con, but just a kind <laughs> of a delay to um, so he doesn't get injured and then he can move on to a team in Europe in the when the uh, summer transfer window opens. Oh I yeah, mean, I'd love him to there's come gotta back. Got to be more to this than yeah. simply visa issues, like visa issues. Uh, like some, I think I heard some people say this too. Visa issues at this level of sport should not last this long, even in a pandemic. Because you would think you would get the league involved, if nothing else, and get them to see what strings they can pull. Yeah, that's what I've no, never understood by this. It's like, why have they not got the league on top of this? But anyway, that that's we'll discuss that another day. So that, that that's obviously the the left back situation. Now the center of the the defense that's another one where there's a, a few discrepancies let me get my paper back to our defensive side here so yeah you've got jasser kamiri who's not with the team he's away he's at, on 240 just now which Doesn't seems that even seem high? high yeah that is, is, 
Because if that's on there, that's what they're paying him, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a, that's a lot for, for Kamiri. So you've got Eric Godoy, 450,000, can't seem to stay healthy, and that is an increase of 100,000 on last year. Then you've got Ranko, who's on the same as last year, 445,000. And then Cornelius, 139,000. So there's some big discrepancies there. Andy Rose, if we class him as a centre-back now, 132,000. So he's excellent value for what they're getting for him. Obviously, on top of that, he's going to have an additional salary for coaching duties with the, the academy and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I saw lots of people asking this in different places. Like, yeah, he, his, uh, his, the money he's making from the Vancouver Whitecaps is not just this. This is only yes. part of it. Because that's gone down 100,000 from last year. And obviously, and we, they're trying to structure the best deal for him. And we know from talking to other players who are player coaches that they're, you get the reason why your cap hit is so low is because they're paying you on the other side. Yeah, but it's just fine. I mean, it's great yeah. if you can do that. I think it's very clever salary management. But I mean, you've got Rose at 132, Cornelius at 139, and then a huge jump to Ranko and Godoy. So. Ranko and Godoy are your starting centre backs if everyone's healthy on those on those numbers, surely. But then Cornelius, Canadian International. It's again big, big discrepancies. Ranko, it makes sense in some ways because he's come from Europe and you know what the salaries are like in Europe. Godoy's surprised me, but I do wonder if transfer fee plays a part of that. You know how sometimes they're built into the salaries and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But do, do you feel Ranko and Godoy at four fifty basically each is high? Well, Ranko is now a permanent player, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think Ranko has room to grow and improve and kind of earn that. So I don't, I wouldn't say he's like uh, underperforming yet. But Godoy, I think it's been long enough to say that he's not value for money just because of how much he's been injured. And well, that's the thing. Like you've got him sitting injured in four fifty. You've got Ali sitting up in Vancouver on 1.3 million, basically. It's a lot of money sitting, just twiddling their thumbs and, and not doing anything. So, I mean, hopefully we get Godoy back in the pitch soon. I mean, that's the main defensive things. Midfield. Now, I put in, I kind of split these into good, bad and ugly. So, <laughs> you've got, the only one I've really got down has been super ugly, Although you could maybe put Ali in at that as well. But it's Russell Tyberts. We've touched on it already. 387,500 guaranteed salary. Last year was 220. Now, last year was the last year of his new deal. So he obviously signed a new contract. If I was getting uh, a pay jump of 160,000, I'd be signing a new contract as well. He surely could not have gone anywhere else in North American football and got anywhere near that kind of money. Is he worth three hundred eighty-seven and a half thousand? I, I like I've said many times before. I love and respect Russell Tiber, but uh, I don't think this is the. I, I just don't I, get well, it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. What is that? That's like uh, I can't even do the quick math in my head. I mean, he got like a almost a seventy-five percent raise. But or, the, the uh, thing is, as well, raise. like if I, you if you put a squad down in front of supporters and said everyone's healthy. Russell is not a starter. No. And 
that is just baffling to me. Now, it could be longevity in the league. It could be parity because Bikel is basically on the same salary, 388. Obiso's on 400. So is it to keep all those guys round about the, the same salary? Kyle's come in at basically 540. Just a little bit shy of that. Then you've got Baldy at 91.275. So... <laughs> The reason it doesn't make sense, Michael, is because it's a new deal. It's not like this is the last year yeah. of a deal and it went up and, it, and that's the, you know, the big year in the deal, which is oh, sometimes it works that way, right? It either goes up or it declines, depending on where you're at in your, your, the, you know, your, your, your life of your contract. This is, this is a first year of a new, I can't remember how many years now, but first year of a new deal. And so it just feels crazy. Like it, it just it, crazy. It does feel high. Well, it also gives you a player that you're not going to be able to move. Oh, yeah. Because who's going to take him? No. Yeah, no one. But it, it, they've also set it up because they want him to be, like, one of the faces of the club, right? Yeah. Like, is he more in the armband every game, I think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... But again, if everyone's healthy, and that includes Ali being here, Tiber does not start in this team. No. Oh, no. But the thing is, for me, is that Tiber being paid this much does not preclude them from adding other players. No, um, it just and it I, I, value wise is probably not as high, but not as good. But they should still be able to add players. It's not like it's stopping I, them from adding I, more players. I totally agree with you, Steve. But if it was if it was the only thing of the of the roster makeup that people were like, "Hmm, that's strange," it'd be yeah, not such a big deal. Okay, one thing that's kind of weird, or a, l- a little bit where the value isn't there. But there are so many of them that it yeah yeah. And I want to stress just now, I don't grudge any of these guys getting the money no. they've got or the contract to get. Like, good luck to them. I'd love them all to get paid way more than they're currently getting, to be oh. frank with you. But when you're just breaking it down into the grand scheme of things and what other folk are getting and where your value is, that's just one of the ones that's just like, wow. Let's quickly look at the attack just to kind of finish this off. So... In the attack, you've got Dahomey. He's gone up 50 grand from last year. He's basically on 450. I'll just round these up now. I'll round them up or down. Um, Caicedo, 331. Uh, then Cava, 1.362 million. Which I don't know that that's, that's value. For a guy on that salary, you need at least a 15-goal season from him. Yeah. Hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, it's it is a little. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention to you, and I, I actually wanted to bring it up during the Kansas City one. Um, uh, the uh, thing uh, I, I think a lot of people uh, were uh, comparing Cavallini to uh, Polito, mm. and Polito has not had a good time in Kansas City, and it's been a year and a half now. Yeah, I so, mean, he, he had an he had a bit of an injury, and he he's kind of been in and out of the team. But when he has played, he has not, not looked sharp. Yeah, and everybody was saying uh, Polito would have been a, like obviously Polito was never going to come to Vancouver, but people were saying Polito would have been is the better option or more. Uh, and I don't even see the difference between the two yet. But I do agree That's that Cavallini, Cavallini, from what you're paying, especially with the transfer fee in, involved, uh, he needs to be a 15, 16 goal scorer or create enough to get somebody to that 15 to 16. Yeah. Like if he can, if his play helps Dahomey get 15 to 16 and it clearly you can see it in the play then I say then it's worth it oh yeah yeah it, but you have to have that output from him Zach 
Yeah, in principle, I don't agree. I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. Uh, but I mean, I'd say he's worth it based on the five games of the season so far. He's leading the line, scoring goals. Yeah, he's crucial to everything. Yeah, he just has to keep this going now. He has to keep it going. But and you're going to lose him for chunks of the year because of the being away with Canada. That's what happens when you have international footballers. Yeah. But so, but again, to me, if he is only a 1.3 million dollar player, like I think, I think there should be ambition for better. Well, I mean, they could have got Freddie Montero for eighty-one thousand. Apparently, obviously, he would never. He would. He would like Stephen. We were talking about this earlier. So, for anyone that hasn't seen it, Freddie Montero is on the Sounders at eighty-one thousand, which is a drop of something like eight hundred, nine hundred thousand from from last year when he was with the Whitecaps. Yeah, he he must be getting a coach's salary in addition. <sighs> he must be getting. I, I believe Seattle may have bought six hundred thousand worth of coffee from him, yes. but that could just be a <laughs> that could just be me making things up in conspiracy theory again. He would what? like I've seen folks saying this is what Steve and me were talking about. So I mean, Steve, folk are saying, "Oh, why could the White Cups not have cut a deal like that?" He's, he would never have joined any other club for anything in, like that in North America or in the world. Like yeah. I don't see him joining any team for eighty six thousand. And we're talking about uh, maybe uh, the, uh, the his coffee is the official sponsor of their you know <laughs> practice sessions or something like that, or not official for the game, but for the practice or whatever. Well, he's got or his support. business there. He's building a house. Yeah, he's got his family. Exactly. It's the hometown and, discount. And he's probably made enough money in his time that he doesn't need to um, uh, be paid that salary in order to survive. There's no way he's only making that. That's no. all I'm going to let's watch him make five personal appearances every week and get however much to get paid on top of that as well because he is loved down in Seattle and like fair play to him he's he's done well with him I like I like Freddie so he's happy he's scoring goals what what was the joke back in the day when like I think think who wasn't being not very paid Ashley Cole wasn't being paid very much oh yeah Uh, and and then we were saying that he's probably getting um He's probably answering calls for Herbal Life on their call center or something yeah. like that. It's like if you call in and hear an English player, ask him if he's, his name is Ashley or something like that, and we'll see if he's he's supplementing Good somewhere old else. Ashley Cole. Well, I mean, yeah. there's there's lots of players around the league that, from what we we hear through the grapevine, it's like they get paid big money for personal appearances or consultants. They get hired as consultants for whatever and, and get money for stuff like that. So there's ways round it. But let, let's look at some of the other players. Carlos Vela and Chicharito are the two highest paid players in the 2021 salary drop. Vela is top. He's the highest paid at 6.3 million in guaranteed compensation. His base is 4.5, so it's 1.9 on top of that for bonuses and, and stuff like that. Chicharito's on 6 million. The 72 players that make a million or more in guaranteed compensation, and we have two of them at, at the Whitecaps, that's up from 58 players in 2019. Some of the other big earners, you've got, uh, well, we're talking about Miami's Gonzalo Higuain, 5.8 he is on. Uh, TFC's Pozuelo, 3.8 base, 4.7 guaranteed. Joseph Martinez is only 3.9 guaranteed, considering what he's done in this league. That's a, a bit of a surprise to me. 
The average base salary for senior roster players, so non-DPs, is 398.725. So Tiber isn't far off that, and he is a senior roster player, and he's a senior veteran, I guess, now in MLS as well. So I guess that maybe plays a part in the salary negotiations for him. You're calling him average, Michael? Yeah. I, I think that's very fair. Um... All the salaries as well, they're only up to April 15th, so there's been obviously some additions after that. So if we're looking at the highest and the lowest spenders in the league, Miami tops the league in salary spending at $17.8 million, and that is followed by TFC at $17 million, and then you've got the Galaxy at $16.8 million, 16.84 to be exact. Atlanta's fifth, 16.18. Then Cincinnati rounds off the top five. They're 15.5 million ahead of LAFC, who have the highest paid player in the league. And when you look at how utter garbage Cincinnati have been and have started this year, that is insane money. Yeah, and like I was saying before, there's um, currently, if you, like, they're eight. With eight million, approximately eight million being the lowest, and about seventeen million being the highest, um, there's nine teams that are above thirteen million, like kind of like the halfway point, and only one team has is averaging more than a point and a half so far in the MLS. And I, I I think that shows a lot, like a like as of right now, spending a lot doesn't mean you're uh, gaining a lot. Like you have to spend wisely in MLS, especially with a salary cap. Yeah, you have to spend wisely everywhere. Yeah, when you look at the Cincinnati roster, it is remarkable at how players are making, what players are making, how much, and it is a clear sign of poor spending. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you, you uh, look, you look at that, and if I'm a Cincinnati fan, I am asking serious questions of ownership. And yeah, yeah it's great to spend that money, but you're pissing it away. Yeah, I don't, what I don't think you got? could. You can ask, you can question ownership, but what you really should be questioning is who's running the team. Well, yeah, actually, uh, maybe not ownership because they are spending yeah. the money. It's, it's the recruitment. It's who's in yeah. charge of the recruitment. And, I think it would be a culture putting issue. the contracts together. It might be a culture issue there. Well, but, they've, they've uh, gone Dutch. Yeah. The, the most interesting thing uh, from looking at the Cincinnati roster, which I, I guess I missed before, is it looks like they signed an academy keeper by the name Beckham Sunderland. <laughs> They have high hopes of marketing him, I'm sure. I mean, Columbus Crew, they are the eighth biggest spenders at 13.5 million. They were MLS Cup champs. So you could say, yes, spending does equate to some success. But then you look, as we touched on, Philadelphia Union are the third least spending, 9.34, which, as soon as the Whitecaps get their number 10, like even if we just say 2 million, for them, that is going to take them above one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, possibly ten clubs. So if they if they spend two million, they'll be above ten clubs in spending. It would leave Austin then as the lowest at nine point one four, well, and then you, Philly at nine point three four. Well, you also have to factor in that if it, if that person comes in in the summertime, 
there is a possibility that another place, like as we're speculating, might be leaving in the summertime. So that oh, takes so, yeah. <laughs> so that'll take that money. Oh yeah, down that, a that's bit. true. Also, actually touching on that, that was something else that was in JJ's chat with Axel today. They're hoping that they might get a deal done by the first of June to get the number ten in, but also fully aware that if you wait until July, it's going to be cheaper for you to bring that guy in. Yeah, you have a lot this, of games in June. Is this is this player like in their top ten attacking midfielder list? Or I don't know. In the, in the, or in the top twenty? I, I don't. I don't know what number we're down to now. Um, would you guys pay one point seven million dollars a year to have Darlington Nagby in your midfield? Ooh, that's a that's a good I'll, one. Darlington Nagby from a few years ago. I don't yeah, know what current. Darlington I, I don't Nagby. know now. I think that is a big overvalue. Zella Ryan's at one point nine eight, like two million. Hundred percent would have him. Yeah. yeah. He was the top, he was the difference maker last year in the final. Oh yeah. Wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he won the thing for him. And but the Nagby was I don't I think it was hurt. I don't think I think he missed the game if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember now. Even though we watched it live. Kevin Molino's <laughs> number is not that big. I don't know why. Yeah, Nagby missed out. I don't know why they would have let him go for that. It, there's there are there's definitely some interesting figures in there, and the they had the the athletic had a list of eye popping numbers, not necessarily in a good way. They said, and Ali made that list uh, at one point two three. Uh, Montreal's Kiki Struna is on one point two one million. Who I know that's what I thought as well when I saw it. Did, did you see? Uh... Columbus's second or third choice keeper Evan Bush is on four thirty eight. Although we've had some high spending. Oh, that's the Slovenian guy that's with Montreal. Oh right. Wow. That is insane money. Yeah, he joined from Houston. Wow. I mean, Mark Anthony K. Here's some great value. Mark Anthony K two four seven one eight eight. Oh my goodness! Offer him double that. Get him to Vancouver. Seriously, like, it, it's, see, this is when it's hard. When you're like Russell Tyberg three eighty something. Mark Anthony. K. Yeah, that that when you compare it like that, that does become difficult to awkward to justify and understand. Well, I'll throw some others. I don't want to, like... Well, we'll finish up in a sec. I don't want to, like, dwell too much on this. Here's some others. Some with a Canadian perspective, some with not. So, New England's Tejon Buchanan. What do you think he's on? Um, I would say he's probably on 80,000, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And I'm guessing, too. I don't have it. I knew, yeah, he's over 100. He's at 121. Yeah, 121. Um, Let's pick another one. Daryl DK which everyone's like been raving about. Obviously, he's not here at the moment. 128750 he's on. Is that the $10 million player or the $20 million player? Yep. That, yeah. You, RSL's Rubio Rabin, $152,000. Do you guys want... Um, uh, Athletic uh, released a, uh, the best value team? Best yeah. bargains in any position. So oh, yeah. I'll go for the, yeah, let's tell so, us who that is. Okay, so a we'll goalkeeper, although he's had a rough start to the year, Dane St. Clair at 100000 um, at left back, George Bellow from uh, Atlanta United at 139. Uh, center back, uh, you got uh, Tolu from uh, Seattle, 170. 
and James Sands from New York City FC at 200. Um, at right back, Olivia Mapazio uh, from Philadelphia Union at 90,000. Central midfield, uh, Asani Dotson, Minnesota at 80,000. Um, Gianluca Busio from Sporting at 100 and just under 130. Um, at attacking midfielder, Caden Clark at 100. Oh, yeah. uh, Let Left winger Chris Mueller from Orlando City at 137. Uh, right winger Keith Cowell at San Jose for 130. And striker is Daryl DK from Orlando City at 128. And they got some honorable mentions too. Um, Chase Gaspar from Russell played yesterday. In the air for good value. <laughs> I'm looking for any white caps, but I don't <laughs> see it. They do have Tristan Blackman um, and Brandon By. Efren Alvarez, uh, Galaxy Ooh. for 115. Tyler Pasher from Houston, Canadian, 160. Uh, Kellen Rowe for Seattle, 180. That's obviously a very good one. Yeah. Like another Canadian, Zachary Bogiard at 200. Isn't yeah. it interesting how the Canadians are all low paid, apart from Russell? Yeah. Like, take Russell uh, it, but it's like it's all domestics and homegrowns. It's at the bottom end of the salaries. Yeah, yeah. They do have Freddie Montero uh, from Seattle at 81. And Io Akinola. He got in the starting eleven at eighty one. I know. Io Akinola at one hundred and sixty. Mason Toy from Montreal for two hundred seven. But I don't see any Whitecaps. I'm scroll. Yeah, I don't see anybody in that uh, honorable benches. But it is the Athletic. They might not be paying that much attention yeah. to it. I'm. I'm gonna. Ha- I'm gonna come up with my own budget eleven. I think I quite fancy doing that. I did that a, a year before that. But let, let's, I think that's a good time to just end this. We went on this way more than I had planned. Any final things you want to say on salaries or anything? Is there something, we, like, can we not end on a more positive note? Um, this is depressing, isn't it? Well, no, not if they do well. <laughs> then they've got that's good a, value. That's a that's a ginormous if. I think they will. I'm, I'm confident with this team. My ginormous if is if we add this number 10. But anyway. If Ali Adnan plays or doesn't play. Yeah, if he yeah. plays as number 10. He comes back from Iraq, rejuvenated. If Cavallini scores 20 goals. Yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, Him and Dahomey, 20 apiece. That would do it for us. Anyway, that is it so, for this episode. We'll be back soon. Just before we go, though, guys, let everyone know where they can find you online, starting with Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. Uh, well, one thing I want to mention uh, about the athletic, I forgot to mention this, um, that you know how I said that they don't pay too much attention to the Whitecaps. Uh, the last time they had an article about the Whitecaps, I haven't found one and I'm still scrolling back to 2020. That's because they need to hire me and they haven't done that. Yeah. So I haven't found anything yet and I'm scrolling all the way back to this summer. Oh, actually, sorry. November 9th, 2020 was the last article. They had something specific about the Whitecaps by Mar- Matt Pence. Yeah, oh. Matt does all three of the Cascadian teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, Zach, where can they find you online? Any final thoughts? Yeah, for for, for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM. The thing I kind of learned this episode or I'm confused by this episode is someone who, who has the last name Sunderland would name their kid first name Becca. <laughs> <laughs> Although I shouldn't laugh because I have a friend I went to college with who named his kid Beckham and I think he was a little offended when I questioned that. I guess that kid could only really have been a footballer. There was no other career path for him. Yeah. Anyway, I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online, AFT in Canada on Twitter. 
read our stuff away from the numbers AFTN.ca and give us a follow on YouTube. YouTube.com backslash AFTN Canada. Please subscribe and turn on notifications. We'll have some more videos going up soon. That is it for this episode. We'll be back looking over, hopefully, a win against KC. Most likely not a win against KC. And we'll chat about a few other things as well. So watch out for that drop-in. As always, thanks for listening. Take care, stay safe, and mourn the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.